We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. From the second epistle of St. Peter, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. On this, the bitter cold last Sunday of Epiphany, before entering into the season of Lent, the readings draw us to consider the last major epiphany in the Gospels before the Lord's death and resurrection. To be sure, the Lord's passion constitutes an epiphany, a manifestation of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, but that must come later. For now, we are drawn to consider the manifestation of the Lord's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. I must say, the, uh, the, the new prayer book has this odd little thing where there's, it says transfiguration under the Sunday. So many people have sort of thought, oh, it's, transfig- it's transfiguration day. No, it's not. That's August 6th. Every year, it's always that day. It's just that we read the account of the transfiguration before entering into Lent. It is this that the Apostle Peter recalls in the reading today from St. Peter. We did not follow cleverly devised myths, he says, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased." We must be reminded that despite what others say, the foundation of Christian believing is the apostolic witness, an eyewitness testimony to Jesus Christ. As our catechism puts it, all authentic Christianity is apostolic Christianity. It is not clever. It is not a conspiracy. It is not some kind of practical joke that got out of hand and they just kept upping the ante and kept playing the game. Over the years, it has struck me just how audacious the claims of Holy Scripture are, how audacious the claims of just that bare creedal faith is. The power and coming of Jesus is, as Paul puts it, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Peter, in recalling the event of the Lord's transfiguration, is calling to mind the kernel at the very center of that apostolic faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, majestic, powerful, and glorious. This is all very true. All Christian doctrine springs forth from the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the body. This mystery is so essential that the moment you veer away from it by either saying, by either trying to rationalize it and explain it, or on the other end, make it completely irrelevant, errors are sure to follow. There are many who say, let's try to reason through this mystery of the Incarnation. And there are others who say, well, if it didn't happen, it doesn't matter. Christianity will go on and on and on without it. These errors are not immaterial because they are bound up in every question that really matters. Salvation, the meaning of human life, the very identity, character, and plan of God. To put it clearly, Christianity without the Incarnation is worthless. 
It's definitely not worth risking your life on a cold Sunday morning to get here for. Christianity without the the resurrection is false. Christianity without the very glory of God being revealed in the person of Jesus Christ is not even worth bothering thinking about. Peter is here calling the church back to this central mystery. Jesus Christ like a lamp shining in a dark place. And that's the first thing to say this morning. That the mystery of Jesus Christ, which is revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, is our hope in the midst of great darkness. John writes, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And also, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In fact, that's a double negative. It's something like, in him there ain't no darkness. John begins both his gospel and the first epistle with this central image, the light of Jesus Christ shining in the darkness. Shining in the darkness of sin and death. Shining in the midst of a world which has been clouded over, in which the essential vision of human life is marred. You see, on that mountain, Jesus not only reveals himself to three disciples, Peter, James, and John, but to two other disciples, Moses and Elijah. Irenaeus of Leon says that the transfiguration on the mountain was an ascent toward a higher grace for them as well. For it was there that the fulfillment of an old promise made to them was fulfilled. Or that that old promise was fulfilled. The glory of God revealed on Mount Sinai was only partial. Moses only seeing and beholding the back of God, whatever that is. Here it is face to face. Elijah only hearing in the cleft of the rock a still, small voice. Hear a loud voice from heaven. In this final epiphany before Jesus goes to Jerusalem, Jesus puts these five men in sight of the profound vision that is the end of all human life. By that I mean not only that the proper end of human life is that wonderful, glorious, beatific vision which it is, but that it is that vision which draws us toward itself, which draws us to the very place Where, as Augustine puts it, we will rest and see, see and love, love and praise. This is important to remember as we live among competing visions of what true human flourishing would look like. Does it look like unbridled freedom? Does it look like economic success? Does it look like a rational explanation for everything with some elegant equation or theorem? Maybe it looks like something closer to home. Maybe you're single and you desire to be married and you think, if only I was married, then I would be flourishing. And maybe you're married and you think, if only my spouse could be more this, or if only I myself could be this, that, or another thing, then I would be flourishing. If only my job, if only my friends, if only, if only, if only... The Christian can have only one answer as to what the true flourishing of human life is, and that is to behold the vision of God. To be, in essence, as Jesus is at this very moment. 
Amidst the great darkness of this world, amidst the many and perpetual failures and successes of life, the transfiguration assures us that there is nothing more than the glory of Jesus, which is to behold God. Peter says that this prophetic word was more fully confirmed. What this means, we cannot know. Perhaps he means that the word of the prophets, especially Moses and Elijah, is made manifest in Jesus. It certainly is. Perhaps he means that the word from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, is prophetic in the sense that the ancient church has experienced the pleasure of God the Father in the Son, in their midst, in the body of Christ. Whatever it is, the word is confirmed in the flesh of Jesus. But what does Peter say after this? Simply this. You will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You and I must remember that the apostolic witness is not only to what has happened in the revelation and coming of Jesus Christ, but also to what will happen, what will be. These are not separate realities, but two sides of the same coin. The Christian, in remembering, in knowing what has happened, looks forward to what lies ahead. As many have said, the end is in the beginning. The dawning of the day when the Lord comes to judge the living and the dead is contained throughout Holy Scripture from beginning to end. What must we do, according to Peter? How shall we look for it? And what he says is this. You will do well to pay attention. If you, like me, suffer from an advanced case of ADHD, I know this is hard, but pay attention. My mind wanders. My heart wanders. I do not attend to the things of God as I should, and I wind up lost and without clarity. I wind up floundering in this world. I wind up pursuing other ends. But what is this attention really? Is it not simply, humbly, to show up? I remember going to freshman orientation before I started college and some wise old senior just said, you know, college is a lot like life. You do a lot better if you show up. And he was right. Really and truly right. You professors know this. If students simply show up, they do better in class. If they show up to office hours, they do better. And I'm preaching to the choir on this cold day in which you have all shown up. And those of you who are watching by live stream have sat on your couches and shown up. Your instincts are right. You're in the right place. You're in the right place just as Elijah was in the right place, just as Moses was in the right place, just as Peter, James, and John were in the right place. And today, we show up. Parents and godparents show up to offer a little child before God in the hope of the resurrection of the dead, in the firm conviction of the faith of the apostles. 
in a firm belief that Jesus who has come will come again to claim her. The truth is that sometimes our hearts are sluggish. We do not know what we truly need. We do not know what our ends are. We do not know where we're going. And this is precisely when we simply need to show up. To show up to times of prayers. To show up for church. To show up to read the Scriptures. To show up to that Bible study. To show up to Stations of the Cross every Friday at 5.30 starting this week. To show up when Jesus invites you to show up. To drag your body if you must, knowing that your heart will follow later. If Jesus invites you to follow Him up the mountain, go. If you're struggling with sin or despair and a friend offers a lifeline, go. If you feel distant from the people you love or the people you simply want to love and they invite you in, go to them. I urge all of you today to look at this coming season of Lent as a time to attend, to show up for the things of Jesus Christ, to attend to repentance, transformation, fasting, self-denial, and renewed prayer. You might have to drag yourself to it. It is enough. You might have to overcome a deep desire on certain days to do otherwise and to eat that thing that you decided you would fast from. To not pray the prayers which you said you'd pray. To not give to others as you said you did. It is then that it is enough to simply show up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.